Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you again from snowy Arlington, Texas. And folks, it is really snowy Arlington, Texas today. I mean, I know it said it was yesterday. I even put up a little YouTube video clip of the dog playing in the snow yesterday. But this morning, after it snowed all last night, it's actually really at this point snowy Arlington, Texas. I'd say I have about 11 inches of snow on my deck. And for those of you who are not familiar with Arlington, Arlington is right in between Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas. So today is February 12th. It's a Friday. We're in in the week with an interesting show and an interesting outside experience for people in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'll tell you a little bit about the snow as I get into today's main topic, um, just, to, just to let you guys know what's going on here. Since we're all friends, and that's what friends do, sometimes they talk about the weather, so we'll be doing that today too. Just a couple interesting things I think you'd like to hear. But what is today's show going to be about? What are we actually going to be discussing? We're going to discuss concealed carry today. Um, with a little bit different of an angle, I was asked by one of one of you guys on the forum, uh, and there's a board on the forum specifically for communicating with me and making show suggestions and making comments on episodes. And on that board, a guy said, hey, could you do a show on concealed carry? And, and really more of why we should carry and address safety concerns as well, because his wife's not totally on board with this concept about you know, walking around with a gun. And I'm going to expand that as to why women should carry. So that's what today's show is going to be about. Um, that is a skill, and that is a, a thing that we I think we all need to be doing to live that better life, whether times get tough or even if they don't. I'll get into why I feel that carrying a gun on you is not just in case you need it, but it has much larger positive ramifications in your life. As we get into the main topic, first, though, we have got to take care of our housekeeping like we do all the time. First is taking care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Tea Party Silver. I love Tea Party Silver. I have bought literally pounds of silver from Tea Party Silver. Um, the stuff that they offer is amazing. I just got a peek at their new website, which you won't see for a while, and one or two new items they're bringing in that are awesome. I can't wait to buy them. Um, really cool. But I want to tell you, an email that I got this week. I'm not going to read it because I have to dig through and find it, but I'm going to give you the gist of it. This lady sent me an email that says, hey, look, I placed an order uh, last night with uh, Mary Beth Maidmont at Tea Party Silver. This morning, instead of getting an invoice for the amount that I should have paid, I got an invoice for less than I should have paid because overnight the price of silver dropped and she didn't want to overcharge me. Now, that is someone taking care of the customers. Because I'll tell you this, whatever the price she had to put that silver in inventory, that didn't change. So she could have easily just charged this person and shipped the silver out, but she made sure that the person paid her price based against the spot. Now that is really taking care of your customers. And every single email I get about Tea Party Silver is something to the effect of Mary Beth Maidmont is wonderful. That's what I constantly hear. That's why I'm glad they're a sponsor. That's why I keep giving them my business. That's why I think they deserve your business as well. 
Same thing with the next uh, sponsor of the day, Tactical Response Gear, James Jager's operation. Absolutely amazing assortment of equipment and gear from the Tactically Minded. We're going to talk about concealed carry. If you want, if you tell James Jager what you carry, he's going to tell you you should be carrying a Glock. But once you get past that, you say, what, what holster should I have? He'll tell you exactly, exactly what you need to be carrying concealed with whatever weapon you're choosing to carry, uh, including if you're carrying an additional backup weapons. He'll tell you what to do. And he'll tell you based on po- you know experience in real life and seeing thousands and thousands of rounds go downrange. Everything you could want in store, amazing training available at his facility and around the United States. They do remote trainings as well. I really recommend that you check out James' site today if you have not already done so. Coming up next, uh, real quick, want to remind you, TSP has a gear shop. What do we have in our gear shop? We have lots of stuff. We have challenge coins. Get your challenge coins. If I meet you somewhere, we're going to be throwing coins up on the bar. I, I promise you. And uh, with a TSP, your your military challenge coin isn't going to get you out of the out of the game. Because if you're a TSP, I want to see a TSP coin. Uh, the first hundred that came in were gone before they got here. We have a second run being done right now. I recommend you get them. We have great T-shirts. We have great hats. We have great patches. You know, it's just, it was something you guys asked for, and I didn't have the time to do it, so I put it into the hands of uh, Tiffany and Rich Rockwell. They've done an amazing job with it, so check out the gear shop. Last but not least, Member Support Brigade. Three things. As always, if you think the show is worth more than 20 cents an episode, join. They'll help support the show. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, videos, ebooks, and discounts from uh, 14, now 15 vendors now. All right? Because um, that's the next big uh, announcement. Finally, finally, and we had a little hiccup yesterday, but the hiccup's over. Uh, Seeds of Change is now giving a 10% discount to all members, brigade members. Seeds of Change, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they do heirloom seeds and rare variety seeds you know, for vegetables and herbs and flowers and all that kind of stuff. So for all your gardening needs. So I recommend you check out Seeds of Change today. And if you're an MSB member, you can get a 10% discount. Now that program is only running till March 31st. And if we give them enough business and they think it's worth staying on as a partner, they'll stay as a partner. So it's springtime. It's time. I know there's snow. I'm looking at it myself right now. But this is the time to buy your seeds and get some seedlings started and start planting your garden. So... You know, pick it up while you can get the discount. Last but not least, remember, I'm running a sale on the Members Brigade that expires Sunday at midnight. Valentine's Day at midnight. It's not a Valentine's Day sale, really, guys. It just worked out that way. But um, basically, if you do your first month, you get it for a dollar. Or your first week, or first month, uh, $1 and $5 a month after that. If you do quarterly, you get it for... uh, you get it for half off your first quarter and then, you know, regular and half off your first uh, semi-annual if you do semi-annual. But if you do a year, you get your first year for $37.50 versus $50. That's a huge savings. That means you're supporting the show your first year at about, oh, 11 cents an episode. <laughs> so, now the thing is, when you when it re- recurs, you, you, when you renew, you're paying full price. But it's still a great deal. Um, especially with all the things we've done there. Now, I'm not going to give out discount codes today. I just want to remind you of that. If you want to get the discount, go to the survivalpodcast.com. There'll be a link in today's show notes. All right? And then the next thing is you can just go to the survivalpodcast.com forward slash sale, and you'll get the discount codes for all of the different programs that are available. If you're listening to this podcast on February 15th, no, you can't get the discount anymore. 
All right. I send out emails. I post it in the forum. I put it on Twitter. Uh, I put it on the blog. There's, there's, I've told you every way I can. This discount is a program that we're running for the next three days and it is gone and it is not coming back. All right. Moving on. Let's get into the main topic of today's show. Again, concealed carry, why we should be carrying, uh, what the, what the impact of that is and some other things. Before that, I want to tell you just a little bit about what's gone on here in Texas with the snow. Yesterday, about, I'd say it was about 2 o'clock, somewhere maybe 3 o'clock, uh, Dorothy needed me to pick up a prescription for some, uh, like a refill for this little bit of surgery that she had done uh, a week prior. So in spite of the fact that I really didn't feel like going anywhere near a store or driving anywhere because people are idiots, I decided to go out and drive because uh, my wife's important to me. So I went out to pick up a refill. Um, Going down the little road by the backside of my house, there was a big 18-wheeler uh, kind of pulling out in front of me. So, of course, I backed off and let him pull out because he was coming across like a, a four-lane road with two lanes going each direction. So he was coming the long way across uh, through a break in the in the divider. And a guy behind me decided that he didn't want to wait for him. So he zips around him, in the, and it's four inches of snow on the ground already, zips around him, um, goes through the light, zips around the next truck, and slams into a pole. So that was about three minutes into my journey. The guy slams into a pole. We used Costco for our pharmacy. So I went to Costco. It was deserted, by the way. Nobody was freaking out, apparently, that goes to Costco. They were all at Tom Thumb and Kroger um, and places like that. So I go in. I go to the pharmacy. I pick up a prescription. I walk back out through the snow to the car. I get in the car. I'm waiting to pull into, like, the main drive through the parking lot. And here comes a guy doing about 30 miles an hour, maybe maybe 35 in the snow, in a parking lot, to the main drag of the parking lot, headed toward the exit of the parking lot. There's a guy sitting at the exit of the parking lot, waiting to pull out. Here you, you see it, and you go, dude, I would pull out and risk it, because slide smack, right? It hit ascends him. Um, before I left, I shoveled the uh, driveway. Uh, my neighbors gawked at me. I think I'm the only person in Texas that owns a snow shovel, at least in Dallas. And I don't think they understood why to shovel their walks. Well, today, since it was wet, heavy snow, um, they all have ice slabs for driveways. Um, so why do I tell you guys it's just a mock people that don't understand snow? No, there's plenty of things that we all don't understand, no matter how much we know about anything. Um, what I want to point out, though, is how we're all vulnerable and how the things that you never think are a problem. I promise you, folks, no one in Texas worries about major snowfall. And it's easy if you're in Illinois or Maine or, uh, you know, Wyoming or Montana to, to watch pictures of what you would consider a dusting of snow uh, and down here. And I'll tell you, folks, this isn't a dusting, even if you're from up there. This is enough. This is where, you know, it shuts down the roads for half a day in Pennsylvania. That's, that's this level of snow. And it is the wet, heavy, not the, you know, the dry snow that's easy to move around. It's the wet, heavy stuff. And we don't own snow. There's no snow plows in this state. And I just want you to think, and the reason I'm pointing this out is, and trust me, folks, I'm fine. I could care less. I just told my wife when we got up and looked out at it, and it's, it's pretty impressive. My backyard, my swimming pool, looks like a giant Slurpee. I've never seen a pool do that before, I guess because I've always drained them down and covered them up north, but it looks like a Slurpee uh, from the snow accumulating in the water. Um, but I just said I wish we'd get another foot. I wish it would shut it down for two or three weeks here. It would be great. Um, ain't going to happen. I can already see it starting to fall out of the trees. It's starting to warm up. It's clearing up now. So even though we got close to a foot, it will probably be gone in two days. Um, 
But I do want you to, I want you to think about it. And I want you to start thinking about things differently when you hear about them all over the world. You see the snow in Dallas, you'll laugh because the rednecks in their trucks down here don't understand that four-wheel drive helps you go but doesn't help you stop. And you'll see people in a place like Haiti where there's been hundreds of thousands of people killed and think, why do they live in cinder block homes? Well, that's because it's all they have. They don't have earthquakes in Haiti. Or you'll see anything that happens anywhere. And I want you to realize that we need to have compassion because the next person has to face it could be us. And it's easy to laugh in a lighthearted situation like we have here in Dallas. But I'll tell you what, the only reason we don't have like millions of people without power is we didn't get any wind with this storm. Because this snow is wet and heavy and it's got every tree in town weighed down deep. And if they got wind after the snow stopped last night, there would have been power off all over the city. And what was a nice deviation from the norm could have become a pretty nasty little miniature disaster. So please keep that in mind when you're looking at the things that happen to other people and make sure you keep compassion in your heart uh, because I do believe in karma. All right, speaking of karma and speaking of people that have negative karma coming to them, bad guys that would try to do harm to a person who happens to be exercising their right to keep and bear arms and carrying on their person in a place where it's still free enough to do so and getting a bullet in the head for doing that, let's switch into the main topic of today's show, concealed carry and why you should carry. Let's start out with the main reason that I think if you live in a state that still has enough freedom in it, you should go out and get a, a, a permit, a license, whatever they call it in your state, and the training necessary and everything you need to do so you are legally allowed to take a gun, strap it to your back, and go anywhere you want with it, within reason. Um, and by the way, I don't think there should be a within reason to that. I think you should be able to carry, if you're carrying concealed, there is nowhere you should not be able to go with that weapon if you are a, a licensed concealed carry person. Period. Unless you're going to a secured building or something like that, still, I, there's very few instances where I even get why you would disarm the honest person. Um, but I guess there's places for full security and only, you know, what have you. But, but 99% of the time is what I'm talking about. Main reason I think you should do that is not because tomorrow, when you're walking down the street, somebody could come up and try to do you harm. The main reason I think you should do it is because it's our fundamental constitutional right in this nation to be able to do that. And I want you to think back to when you were a little kid in grade school and they first started teaching you about voting. And they said, when you grow up, when you become big boys and girls, when you become young men and women, it's very important for you to go out and register to vote. And it's very important that every time it's the time that to vote comes around, that you as a young person go out and vote, cast your voice. Of course, it came from a very liberal school that was telling you who to vote for subversively, most likely. Uh, or if you went to a private school, it might have been telling you to vote for the other way. But one way or another, one thing they had was right. And the one thing they had that was right was, if you don't vote, it threatens your right to vote. That when you have a right, the only way to ensure that it remains your right is for it to be exercised. Just like a muscle. If we don't exercise a muscle, if we lay in the bed for a year without moving, our muscles start to atrophy. And they lose their power. Well, that's what happens to rights when they're not exercised. And there has been a continuous creeping attack against the right to own and keep and bear arms in this country since the country was founded. Let me explain something to you that I think is fundamentally important for every American to understand. 
The Bill of Rights did not come with the Constitution. The Constitution was written, it was drafted, it was ratified, it was put in place. Ah, we have a Constitution. Some of our more enlightened founders backed up and went, we have a hole. We have a hole. There are things that we need to make sure never happen to the people that just fought for their freedom to create this new country. And some of our other founders, who were quite enlightened men as well, said, what, what, what do you want to do? And, and, you know, the Jeffersonians said, hey, we want a Bill of Rights. We want to put some amendments to this Constitution. Remember, when we set it up, we left it open to amendments. So let's do some amending. He said, hey, we just did this thing. We don't need to be jacking with it already. And said, Look, we need to do this because we need to make sure that people, you know, have a right to not have soldiers quartered in their property. And we say that that's outdated and archaic. Hey. We talk about the shit hitting the fan here. You don't think the government will start putting soldiers, displacing people to house soldiers? If we have to deploy our soldiers throughout this country where there's no barracks for them? Right? Well, they can't as long as they follow the Constitution for now anyway, right? The people have to have the right to free speech and free press. Someone accused has to have the right not to be compelled to speak against themselves. People that own firearms need to make sure that they have a right to continue to own firearms. And what was said by the opposition to the Bill of Rights wasn't, oh, we want to take those rights away. No. What was said is, of course people have those rights. They're inalienable. We don't want to do this because if we don't put something into this Bill of Rights, in the future, people will look back and say, hey, look, it's it's not in there, therefore the government can interfere with it. And the Jeffersonian mind said, you know what, you're correct, it probably will happen, so let's do the best job we can to protect all of the rights that we can think of right now, because if we don't put this in there, they're going to do the same thing, and eventually the republic will fall into a tyranny. And fortunately for us, the Bill of Rights came out of that. Why did I just spend all that time we're supposed to be talking about concealed carry? Because I want you to understand something so fundamental that you will never hear come out of a history teacher's mouth in our public education system, for that matter, probably our private education system. What that means is every single component of the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments of the Constitution, restricting the federal government's power, the negative liberties, as they're called by Barack Obama. In other words, the Constitution says what the government is not allowed to do to you, but it doesn't tell the government what it must do for you. He's absolutely right, and it should be that way. But every single one of those negative liberties was only there because your founders of your nation already saw an emerging threat. That means that our right to keep and bear arms was under threat before the Second Amendment was even drafted. The only thing you would put into the Bill of Rights was the something that you already perceived a threat to. So again, when our men in the Revolutionary War were out with their muskets and their and their flintlocks, right, and their Kentucky and Pennsylvania rifles, fighting the Revolutionary War, it wasn't protect the Second Amendment. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't one. What's the Constitution? It's important that you understand that. It's important that you understand that your right to keep and bear arms has been threatened for longer 
than our nation has officially existed. So, that compels you as a citizen to exercise that right. And to exercise that right in every logical, rational, legal way possible. Which means carrying concealed. Because restrictions on concealed carry are relatively new, folks. It wasn't that long ago that the Second Amendment was the Second Amendment was the Second Amendment. Right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, meant shall not. See, shall in, shall in lingual language is a, is a definitive word. It is an absolute word. There's a reason it was chosen. Shall not means will not ever under any circumstances know the end done. So that's one of the biggest reasons I can give you for going out and getting a permit so, or a license, like I said, depending on what state you live in, what they call it, so that you can carry is to prevent that additional restriction from being applied to your state. A state with a million law-abiding citizens licensed to carry concealed, not committing crimes, is almost impossible to change the law and take that right away. A state with 10,000 people doing that is actually relatively easy, because even in our smallest, most leastly populated states, 10,000 is a meaningless number. Stand up and be counted. And those of you who go, well, if I get a concealed permit, then they'll know I have a gun, and they ever round them up. They already know you have a gun. Right? If they ever decide to round them up, they're going to go check everywhere anyway. And I'll, I, at that point, I'm with Charlton Heston from my cold, dead hands. Looking at it a little bit more than just the rights issue. There's a fundamental reality that no matter how tough you are, whether you're a little bitty woman or a great big man, you can be a martial arts expert. We can, you could be like the ass clown that posted on the blog we talked about yesterday. I'm a mountain biking champion, pilot, electrical contractor, taekwondo, mixed martial arts. You can be that guy, even though I don't think he was. Right? You can be that guy. And you still are threatened every day that you walk around. And there's still a limit to what you're able to do in a situation. The big misconception that people have is the reason you carry concealed is to self-defense, to protect yourself. In many instances where you would be threatened as an individual, and this is important because it's what the antis use to discredit the need for concealed carry. If you're walking down the street and somebody means to do you harm and rob you, walks up behind you, plants a knife in your back, rips your, your insides open, and pulls your wallet out, your gun doesn't do you a lot of good. I hate to put it that way, but that's reality. If you end up in a situation somewhere where someone draws a gun on you and you have your gun behind your back, if that person has any competency with a weapon whatsoever, being able to actually draw your gun and return fire before you're shot is, is all but impossible person standing arm's length from you with a large sharp knife and you have a gun holstered has a definitive definitive advantage on you if they have any competency with that knife. In many instances the self-defense thing doesn't quite work out. In many instances it does. 
You know, a couple guys that are tough guys are going to come and just rob you with a physical altercation because they're bigger and tougher than you. You have an equalizer. If you can retreat back from the situation in any way, give yourself some space, use some self-defense techniques outside of the weapon, and give yourself time to draw the weapon, you alter a lot of situations. But there are limits to what that is. The main reason you carry is to protect others. We say that again. The main reason that you should carry is to protect others. To be the defender in the situation. So that if you are ever in a situation where some madman walks into a church or a restaurant or a school, starts shooting, unless you're the first person he shoots, wrong day for him to decide to do that. So that if you're ever in a situation where you come by somebody forcing themselves on a woman in a dark alley or any other situation like that, that you have the ability as a standoff person to correct that situation really, really quickly. The guy that's walking around carrying the weapon is out there. If you're not, he's defending you. It's civilian law enforcement. It's a person that's made a pledge. I will not use this weapon to commit a crime, but I will not allow criminal activity and harm to come to my fellow Americans in front of me without taking steps to prevent it. It is one of the most patriotic duties that you can do. It is not without expense. It is not without risk. But that's why you should do it. The next thing I want to tell you is it will change you as a person. People that carry weapons are more, not less polite in potential altercation situations. When I was a young hothead, not pothead, hothead, and somebody would just say something to me the wrong way, especially right after I got out of the military and I had that airborne fighting spirit in me, I'm better than everybody else, that attitude, before I knew how dangerous that attitude was. If somebody would get into a position with me where they wanted an altercation, well, by God, they were going to get one. I'll show you. What did you say? Well, come on then, right? Those are common attitudes to have at that point in your life. Very dangerous attitudes. Very, very dangerous attitudes. Well, something happens when you take a course, you understand the legal ramifications of the use of deadly force. And you understand that in any type of altercation, it is up to you and your responsibility as being armed to do everything you can to defuse the situation. And when you end up in a situation like that in the future, you find yourself compelled not to engage, but to disengage from the situation. Because you now have a greater responsibility. That's huge. Somebody cuts you off in the car and gives you the finger you're a lot less likely to run up on them and give them the finger back if you're armed. Because if they try to attack you and you shoot them, you've caused the situation to occur that way. Now the other side of it, your confidence level becomes extreme. It goes to the roof. Because for the first time in your life, you realize that no matter how big and tough any other opponent might be, even if there's more of them than you, you're walking around with a true equalizer. And for women, I want you to understand this. Do you know how many rapes there are in this country a year? This figure comes from the FBI. 
2003, 93,000 rapes, roughly, 93,883. 2004, 94,635. Now, what you really have to understand about that, that's the reported number. It's the reported number. Many women see that as a shame. They don't report it. I, I guarantee you you can double that number. Call it 200,000 women a year raped in this country. It's disgusting. It's revolting. It should make you sick. But it always makes me think of a lady that right after Florida became one of the first states to allow concealed carry, was carrying a twenty-five automatic. And a guy tried to rape her. And this guy was a serial rapist. He had raped four other women. And he managed to force her to a floor in kind of a back where she worked for like nights at a restaurant or something like that, or a warehouse or, or something. And he forced her to the floor, and she feigned compliance. And while he was trying to get on with what he planned on doing, she went from a feigned compliance to withdrawing her twenty-five, pressed it to his forehead between his eyes, and pulled the trigger. And because it was only a twenty-five automatic, he had a bad day. He stopped doing what he was doing, and he became incapacitated, and she dialed 911, and the police came and took him away. But he was basically placed into a semi-vegetative state for the rest of his life from the damage done, but he didn't die. And she was asked later in life, do you have any regrets? Her response, I wish my boyfriend would have bought me a thirty-eight. Meaning, because then I would have blew his head off. Now, remember what I said. You don't carry to defend yourself. You carry to defend others. Women, I'm calling on you to serve in that capacity today. Not so much because of the non-self-defense issue. Because in this instance, this is the biggest threat the women have today, is being raped, as far as violent crime goes. It's true, and there's scumbags out there that will do it. You have a unique opportunity, women of America, to get that permit, to learn how to use it, to develop the confidence that comes with it, to someday, if it ever happens to you, be the person that feigns compliance yourself and puts a bullet in a scumbag's head. And you haven't just defended yourself. You've, you've defended every other woman in this nation, including if you're a mother, your daughters. Including if you have sisters, your sisters. Nieces, nephews, or niece nephews. Well, maybe that too, because there's really twisted people out there. But you've defended every woman in America every time a rapist gets a bullet in the head. Do you know why? Not just because he won't go do it again. Because all of a sudden, what's perceived, and I hate to say this, what's perceived as an easy crime to perpetrate today starts to look like a very dangerous crime to perpetrate. Women, you should carry more than men should you're more likely to be a victim of a violent act. You're see, it might be wrong, ethically, morally, and it might be wrong even logistically. Because I don't want to fight with a woman trying to defend her kids. That's, that's the mother bear syndrome, and that sucks. I've said it before, you don't, you don't think that's the way it works. Go out in the middle of the Angolan desert, find a tribeswoman and try to take her baby away. You'll end up with buzzards picking your bones, folks. 
but you're still more likely to be targeted, whether or not it's justified. So you're more likely to have a, a necessary need for a means of defense. And I'm telling you, if as few as 10% of those women, those 94,000 women raped in 2004, 10% had popped somebody in the head, that would have been 10,000 dead rapists, roughly. And I bet you the 2005 rape statistic would have went down. So if you're a woman, that's why you should carry. Let's talk about something else I've talked about in the past that people don't understand and seem to have a problem with, even people that carry themselves. I talk about carrying your gun, concealed or otherwise, in your home and on your own property. Of course you should do that. I you know, you're sitting at home, it's late at night, midnight, 11.30, you're up late watching Discovery Channel or something. Wife's cuddled up next to you on the couch, kids are off in bed asleep. Somebody kicks down your door, comes through your window, some way or another threatens you. Your gun's upstairs under your mattress or in a gun safe. Hold on, bad guy, please, could you please excuse me? While I go get the gun. How many times have we heard even stories of where people were successful at, I went and got my gun. Life-threatening situations, you don't have time to go get your gun. Now I want you to think about the irrational behavior that people see as rational. I get up in the morning and I'm going to go out about my day. Put all my stuff on, including my, my weapon as part of my, my wardrobe. I walk out my door, I get into my car, and I go spend my entire day doing whatever I'm going to do. I come home, and I'm going to be out for another six hours before I go to bed. And then I disarm, and I put that weapon away. First of all, from a, people say, well, what about safety? The safest place your weapon could be is on your person, holstered under your control. The potential for someone to get their hands on your weapon and use it inappropriately increases with every step away from it that you take. So if it's upstairs in a, in a, you know, a, a nightstand, then a kid can walk in there and pull it out. Then a cat burglar can get in and find it while he's ransacking your bedroom. You know, I've listened to some of the best cat burglars in the business after they get caught and they get to their community service thing where they have to go out and tell people how they do it. You know what they do? They break into houses during the daytime when people are home. They, they case the house. They make sure it's got the type of stuff they want. They know the most valuable things ever will be in the master bedroom. They wait for an opportunity. They slip into the house. They go into the master bedroom. They immediately lock the door. That way if the homeowner, husband, or wife tries to come in, they get alarmed and alerted. And most people don't have to walk around with a key to get into their master bedroom. Most of those locks don't even use a the key. They're little push-button types. You can pick them with real easy with like a straightened-out coat hanger. Well, what happens is, wife yells, Honey, are you in there? Did you lock the door? And then from downstairs or around the corner, he goes, No, I'm not in the bedroom. I'm over here. They sit there and argue with each other about who locked the door while the guy goes out the window. And if they don't catch him, you know, that, that that never happens, he still goes out the window. Well, if you disarm, you keep your gun in your bedroom, just put it into the hands of a criminal in that scenario. Or, if you do catch him, and you get into your bedroom, he's got your gun and he's armed and you're not. It doesn't make any sense. 
It doesn't make any sense that you're already wearing your weapon and then you take it off. It's not about paranoia. It's about when I get undressed and I'm ready to go to bed, take my gun off. And then it'll be close to me where I can procure it quickly if I need to. But when I'm walking around cooking steaks in my backyard, part of my responsibility of being a concealed weapons carrier is to protect my neighbor. Somebody breaks into his home, oh, please, should you wait there while I go? You have to think about this. And I know there's some international listeners that live in nations where your, your gun rights are extremely restricted, if, if non-existent. And then the thought of actually carrying a gun in your home really seems out there. But think about it if you were carrying all the time anyway. And let's pause for a second. Let's go back to the confidence issue, because I don't feel I did that justice. I, I think that the person that's armed, again, legally, sanely, rationally, um, has a different viewpoint in life. Remember what I've told you over and over and over about this show, even though we talk about some scary things and we talk about disasters and we talk about things that a lot of people, frankly, don't even want to think about. We get accused in the survivalist community about being fear mongers and, you know, overreacting to things. But what I've always said is what we do is absolutely not about fear. It's about the abolishment of fear. It's about confidence. It's about an understanding and a knowledge that I can deal with what comes my way. The bad stuff happens sometimes, and there's nothing we can do to prevent the occasional bad thing from happening. But what we can do is we can be prepared to deal with it. And developing that mindset to where we behave calmly and rationally in all situations, knowing that we're better suited to deal with it. Well, what could be more the case with that than being armed and properly trained on how to use a weapon? You know, it was CBS or NBC or whoever does like the 2020 show or whatever did this show called Guns in America or something a while ago. And they took these people with no training, and they gave them, like, uh, airsoft guns or paintball guns or what have you, and said, okay, you're going to go into this scenario, you're in a classroom, a guy comes in and starts shooting. And then somebody came in and starts shooting, and they, like, the, the person they had given the gun to never won. They always ended up getting shot themselves. Well, they put that person at, like, a tremendous disadvantage. First of all, they had no training. They were just handed the gun, basically told how it works. The person coming in was well-trained. So he had a well-trained shooter and an untrained defender. And the shooter knew who the armed person is. Folks, there could be nothing more stacking the deck against you than that. That's total crap. And, of course, they, they angled it that way because they wanted to... See, the thing is, when you're running a trial... If you want results to come out a certain way, if you don't follow this little thing that they came up with to prevent that called the scientific method with control groups, then you know what? You can make the results come out any way you want to. Global warming, right? All the scientific evidence, right? You don't follow a scientific method, there is no evidence. There's only hyperbole. So that's what they did in this situation. Now, you take the situation another way. person knows the rules of engagement, knows their weapon intimately, has a heightened state of situational awareness, has a heightened state of confidence, has been through training of what to do in the situation, is a blank face in the crowd, now send that shooter into that scenario. And unless he gets lucky and wins the lottery and picks the right person first, 
He's dead. He's dead every time. Because that person only has one person to target the threat. And all they have to do is take cover and or concealment and return fire. And they have the superior odds at that point. As long again, if they just didn't happen to be... If the guy walks in, doesn't appear to be a threat, draws fires, and it happens to be the guy that was armed. But let's change that. Let's change that to a world where 1 in 10 Americans have the courage and the sense of duty and responsibility to concealed carry. Now the guy walks into a crowded room with 100 people in it. He pulls a gun. Even if he gets lucky with the first one he pulls the gun on, nine other people are putting bullets in him. And I don't want this to sound like Hollywood or a joke. I don't want you to even laugh. I know that this is, there's, there's some comedy in that. But I'm being serious today. 10% of Americans armed at all times. And crime is screwed. Being a criminal takes on a totally different um, sense of, uh, I don't know how to put this. It's much more difficult to be a criminal. It becomes a much more dangerous job. I also listened to um, a 2020 thing. It was done by John Stossel, who has a brain and thinks logically. And he went into some of the worst prisons in the state of New Jersey. And he interviewed hardcore criminals. And they said, he said to them, what are you afraid of? And they said, what do you mean, man? I'm, you know, they're big tough guys. I'm not afraid of anything. You know, it's hard in here, but they said, no, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm talking about on the outside, what are you afraid of? And they didn't really follow me and say, look, here's what I want to point out. If you're committing a crime, are you afraid of a cop? And the guy said, all of them. Oh, no, they don't shoot you. They tell you to get down. And you can either decide to run, uh, if you think you can get away, or, if you know you're caught, you're caught, you just lay down, and they'll arrest you, take you to jail, and, you know, sometimes you can get bail and all, maybe you can skip out. Because these guys are in for 20 years, they have nothing to lose, they're going to be honest. So, you're not afraid of police officers. No, I'm afraid of getting caught, but I'm not afraid of them. Okay. And, they, and he'd say, well, what about a, a breaking into the house, a, a breaking into a home, and the homeowner is armed? Oh, hell yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm afraid of that. I'm scared of that. No, I don't want no... Every one of them, that's what they were afraid of. They were not afraid of the police. They're afraid of you. You know why? Because what they said is, that guy will shoot me. That's what makes an impact on criminals. Citizens. Police officers are responders after the fact. Not putting you down if you're a cop. I love cops. I, I think you do an amazing job, and a very difficult job, and a, frankly a job I'm not qualified to do. Because I'd be fired the first week, the first time somebody did 55 miles an hour through a Walmart parking lot and almost ran a kid over, and I run them down, pull them out of the car, taser mace, and beat them with a club. That's what would happen if you gave me that kind of authority. I don't have the head for it. So I admire you. But you know better than anybody else. You can't be everywhere at all times. You have very strict rules of engagement that you have to follow. When you show up, 90% of the time the act has already taken place and ended. It's not even in progress. Well, the victim has to wait for the cop to get there. And even when the cop gets there and catches you in the act, you can't, you have, it's harder for a cop to justify a shooting than it is for a, a person in their home. If I'm in my home and you break in, it's on. 
I'm sorry. You shouldn't have done it. I don't know who you are. I don't know your intentions. I don't have backup. I don't have a bulletproof vest. I don't have law enforcement training. My duty is not to apprehend you. My duty is to defend myself and my family. So I'll pull the trigger quicker in that situation. And I'm more aware of the situation than the officer is. The officer coming into that situation doesn't know if the person he sees is the homeowner or the criminal. If I live in my house, and I have my wife and my son, two dogs, two cats, and you're not one of them, you're the bad guy. You don't belong there. That's why criminals fear the armed citizen. Now I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's the duty of America's women to make rapists fear women. I'm going to give you a fact that I've heard over and over from criminal analysis. Rape is not about sex. It's about power and intimidation. Sex is the means by which that is done. You only intimidate and overpower people that you perceive to be weaker than you. The 115-pound woman with a snub-nosed titanium frame Smith & Wesson 357 Magnum is not easy to intimidate and is very difficult to overpower. And for all the talk of slick clocks and slick autos and what have you, a woman at close range, close enough to touch, with that snub-nosed 38, you try to take that pistol out of her hand and on your best day you lose fingers. It's not going to happen. And I can have all the gun guys disagree with me. Go try it. Go take a weapon. Make sure it's clear. Give it to a woman. Try to take it out of her hand. Tell her to pull the trigger. Whatever she thinks she needs to. When she pulls the trigger, everybody freeze. Look where your fingers are. Tell me you'd still hold on to the weapon. And I know if you're some Krav Maga expert or something, but see, the thing is, we always talk about that expert in like 20 years of martial arts. Those guys aren't the ones out committing crimes. Those guys have discipline, a sense of responsibility, a sense of duty. You can't become a highly skilled martial artist. You really can't and be a criminal. I guess it happens one in a million times. Somebody's going to send me an article about some guy that did it. I understand that. But the real masters, the real masters, they have the patience to learn at that level. Unless something goes wrong and becomes a stressor trigger and pushes them into crime, they have too much patience to be criminals in the first place. Criminals don't have patience. They want what they want. They want to take it now. So women, I'm telling you, even if it's not the titanium frame Smith at $600, you know what? Rossi makes a damn good little small frame revolver, 38 special, about 200 bucks. Get your license. Get trained. Get at least that. I recommend you qualify with a semi-auto, though. Because in some states, if you qualify with a revolver, you can't carry a semi-auto. Texas does that. It makes no sense to me. A license should be a license should be a license. But there's nothing wrong with carrying that weapon. Small, compact, light, hard to be disarmed from. People can say whatever they want about a good side picture. James Jager and all I disagree about this. If you're close enough to touch me, I don't need to put the sights between me and you. I need to point at you pull the trigger. And that's it. And I need to pull the trigger at least twice. We just watched Zombie Land last night. Always double tap. But I'm being serious with this. I'm not trying to make this funny. I'm not trying to paint irony here. I'm telling you, 100,000 women a year, at least in this country, are raped. 
And armed women is the solution. It is the only solution. There is no other solution. Law enforcement isn't going to fix it. They can't. They can put the guys that do it, once they catch them and prove they do it, in jail for a while until they get out again. And hopefully, after going to jail for it, or prison for it, they don't do it again because they don't like the experience. But that's it. If law enforcement could fix it, we wouldn't still have 100,000 a year or more women being raped in our country. Right? So we've tried that route. Again, I'm not putting down law enforcement. I'm not putting down the, the prosecutors. I'm not putting down the women that it happened to. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying, let's be honest, it doesn't work. Just like we would say, if you watch your stove burner heat up, stick your hand on it and it burns you, it doesn't work, stop doing it. Try a different solution. Put the pot on it. Don't touch the burner, right? Well, we've been getting burned as victims, at least the women of this country have, for hundreds of years. The only solution is a gun. Safety, again, I want to reiterate safety. If you have a concealed carry permit, license, again, depending on what state you are, what they call it, and I think everybody actually calls it a license. I don't know why that word stuck in my head. Maybe because we used to have to get what was called a pistol permit in Pennsylvania before the days of concealed carry there. Um, if you are that person, you inherently are safe. I want people that have this vision of like all these like reckless armed drunk people running around with guns to understand what you have to do to get your license in the first place, what you become aware of. It's actually more difficult to justify a shot if you're a concealed carry holder than if you're not a concealed carry holder, because it's presumed that you know the law in full. And you had a series of rules of engagement to follow, and did you follow them or not? The people that carry are inherently safe. They're aware of what they're doing. And they've done it for a reason. And I'll say everybody should do it. Everybody. And if you're a wife of a husband that's telling you this, and you don't believe him, believe me. Because I'm not saying it so that you'll let me do it, because my wife doesn't have a problem with it. She thinks it's a great idea. I'm telling you because I've examined the threats that are out there. And I want to finish up today as I explain to you why the threat is real to you. We talk about threat probability on this show an awful lot. You know, it's a lot less likely a meteor will hit the earth than you'll lose your job or lose your spouse to sickness, disease, illness, a car wreck. It's a lot more likely that your home will be damaged from a localized weather event than global climate change will create a new ice age. Just fundamental realities. Well, what what came out of that? Well, and that's not original to me. That's something that's been understood. Threat probability is a very, very old concept. But when I anal analyzed that, when I came up with a, a fundamental truth, the greater the number of people affected by a disaster, the lower its overall probability of occurrence at any one point in time. The lesser number of people in the threat probability matrix affected, in other words, if it affects you and the neighbors around you, it's much more probable than something that affects your entire city. Okay? If it affects you as an individual and not your neighbor, it's more probable than the thing that affects your neighbor. And it's a constant. You can look at it. You can try to make some exceptions to it. But in reality, you'll find it is a constant. 
you carry a weapon primarily for things that affect you as an individual or happen to, you happen to be in an area where they're affecting someone else as an individual, as a defender. That means you carry a weapon for the most probable disaster, for the most probable emergencies. Last but not least, we talk about being prepared everywhere we go. Bug out bag in the car, documentation in the car. We talk about having everyday carry. We talk about all these things. Well, I want you to really grasp this. If you're not carrying, that means you have a tool that is useful during dangerous situations and emergencies that you do not always have access to. So the tool's useful, but it doesn't help you because you don't have it because you're 20 miles across town and it's locked in your gun safe upstairs. When you carry, you ensure that the tool is available when the most probable likelihood that you'll need it comes to pass. And this is my final thought for you. Whether you're the woman that someday is attacked by a piece of scum, whether you're the person that's in a crowded room that's attacked by a wild gunman, whether you're the person that sees two guys beating up somebody in a parking lot, or any other scenario that you can come up with. If you own a weapon, and you had the ability to carry, and you chose not to, and you came across that person in need, and you were unable to help because you were not carrying, you will carry that fact and the guilt that comes with it with you for the rest of your life. And even if the odds are one in a thousand that it'll ever happen, those two odds, those odds are too high for me to live with that regret. So I think it's inherent upon all of us to really understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about a constitutionally protected right, not a constitutionally given right. It is a right seen by our foundational law to have come to us as human beings from our creator. The end. Done. It doesn't matter what name you call that creator by. That's the reason they use the word creator, because even if you're an evolutionist, then the evolution is the creator. You see? You see the wisdom of our founders? You see how smart these people were? There's no way around that. If the right comes from your creator, you exist. Therefore, you were created by something, some entity, or some process. If the right is inherent to that creation, then it shall not be infringed. And the people is us. Will you protect that right by exercising it? You protect your fellow citizens when you exercise that right. Your primary responsibility, once you're carrying, is to defend the people around you because it's the most likely thing that you'll be able to do successfully. Take those two things very, very seriously. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all goes.
it's been.